0: All right, if you're visiting with us this morning, um, if if you look in your bulletin on this side, you've got notes, uh, so you don't have to furiously try to write down if you were inclined to do so, the quotes and the questions that I have for the sermon this morning. And this is also for your own edification so that you can go back later this Lord's Day and maybe study a little bit deeper or follow up on something you were thinking about. Um, In addition to that resource, on the website, um, we have uh, put up an Advent devotional for you. And this Advent devotional is specific to this sermon series. And so it has all of the scriptures that we will use in this sermon series. Um, it doesn't have things for you to do every single day necessarily. It's, it's up to you as to how you want to break it down. But the way that it, it, it's broken down is it looks to the shadows of the Advents, which you'll notice that all of our calls to worship during this season are going to come from the book of Genesis. Why? Because that's where the Christ story begins. That's where the redemption story begins. That's where the advents are foretold of. And as, as Sam did a great job this morning of pointing to that, that even in the midst of Adam and Eve's utterly cosmic and tragic ruin, what was beautifully stirring and growing in the ashes of that destruction? The salvation of God's people. He did not allow their sin to have the final say. In fact, he didn't even let the ink hardly dry on the curse before he made the promise of the coming Christ child. Amen? You'll also notice that all of the Advent readings will come from the book of Luke as it tells the beautiful story of the coming Christ. All of our uh, um, assurances of pardon will come from the book of John because that's where it's spoken of the light that is coming into the world. All of our sermon, sermon series will come from Isaiah, and the benedictions will all come from the book of Revelation, where the promised last advent is. And so, if you, you can download this, or you can it's a PDF, or you can pull it up uh, on your computer, but I do encourage you to use this. You can do it one of two ways, or you can do it both ways if you're super spiritual, like many in here. You can read ahead and be ready for the sermon. Have your heart already prepared for where we're going in the sermon. That's a great way to do that. Um, and and then also to to then reflect on the sermons, you can go back. It's ordered a little differently, more linear than than, uh, some of the things we're doing here. And so it also has some questions that are different from the questions for you to reflect on, and you can do these with your family. Um, I would encourage you to do it with your family. And so um, I get no no money from this, by the way, but it's free to you, and if you want to pass on to other people, you can as well. One thing you will notice is that the font was obviously for someone with much better eyes than... than than we anticipated. So hopefully as a PDF, you can blow it up on your computer or iPad. All right. So that's, that's for you guys. All right. Enough about all that. Let's actually get to the text. This morning we're beginning in Isaiah chapter nine, which is a great place to begin. And one of the things that has been a huge blessing for me personally is uh, this Advent season um, has been incredibly sweet. And I don't, I do know why, because of Christ, and it has been an incredible thing for me to to look long at uh, this coming Christ child and what it really meant for Him to come, and what a beautiful passage is Isaiah nine to to promise us so great a truth. In fact, Isaiah oftentimes, what I love about the book of Isaiah is it really mirrors our times in many ways. Certainly, culturally, politically, um, there is a lot of mirroring going on because Isaiah. If you know anything about the book of Isaiah, one of the great tragedies is that the kings again and again sought to make alliances with their former and future enemies. Again and again and again, they failed to trust the Lord their God. They didn't even go to him at all. In fact, they tried to circumvent him and go back to Egypt or go to Assyria or to join with Syria, to join with all of their enemies before they would ever even consult the one who loved them so deeply. Does that sound familiar at all? That the machinations of the king and the political machine was all about the pragmatic. What can we do to save ourselves? And for those of you who know the rest of the story, how does it go? did not go very well, does it? In fact, the ones that they seek to align themselves with will be the ones who actually carry them away. And not only that, if you remember from Isaiah 1, there was also an issue at the spiritual level as well because the people were doing all kind of religious things, right? And remember, God in disgust says, away with these solemn assemblies. Essentially, he was saying, you guys are conducting funerals, and I'm tired of them. I'm tired of hearing your death knell. And he he begs them, he says, come and let's reason together so that you will be washed as white as wool. And the thing they had going on is they were doing all this religious stuff, but they didn't care about the poor, the widow, or the orphan. In fact, they were drawing swords against each other. Does that sound familiar at all? See, that's why I find that, that Isaiah's text is so pertinent to us. And what's so beautiful is the hope that it gives. And if you have the chance, I would encourage you to sometime this week, even devotionally, add this to your list of things to do. Um, is to take the time to at least read Isaiah chapter 7 through 9, because it'll give you a much fuller picture of kind of what's going on here. But if you have the courage, even go all the way to Isaiah 1, and it'll give you just a beautiful picture for the setting for this prophecy for the child who will be born, who will change everything. So this morning, the one thing that I want us to walk away with is that the birth of Christ signals... Freedom from slavery. Now, slavery of what kind? All kinds. Every single kind of slavery you can think of. The birth of Christ signals the end to every ounce of it. It also signals the end of war. What kind of war? All kinds, both internally, externally, between, within, without. Every war will come to an end someday. And when Christ is born, it signals for all who are involved in those things that it is, in fact, ending as we speak. And then it also signals the beginning of peace. Or in the Hebrew, shalom, which is the restoration of the entirety of the person. Not just some part of it. Not just it gets easy so you can kind of hold up in your house and get away from everybody else. But no, it restores all things. And not just restores it, but also ushers in flourishing like we've never known or understood before. And here's the beauty of that. Let me ask you this. Has this world at different times and in different places known both peace and an end to war? She has, in different places. But the problem is, tell me what king held it for eternity. Not one. It was brief, and it didn't last. And how encouraging really has it been, and how has it really even changed our world at all? It hasn't. In fact, we're still rehashing and going over the same old ideas and fighting about the same old things that we have for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And so the beauty is this, let me, let me read it so you get the full, that the birth of Christ signals freedom from slavery, the end of war, and the beginning of peace and flourishing. And that will all occur under a faithful and just king who will rule over this new reality for an eternity. It is not something that you will have snatched from you. It is not a reality that is up for grabs. It's not as if the darkness could fight hard enough against the light to take it away. This isn't Star Wars after all. This is victory. As we come into this season, we of all people should come into this season expectant to see how the victory of Christ is unique this year and growing more and more with each passing year and be able to give testimony to how this year I am less enslaved. This year I am less at war. This year I am flourishing and being restored greater than the last. And I'm here to tell you one of the things that has so moved me about this year for this reason is that I can say that in all honesty. And there were years when I I couldn't say that. I didn't feel it. But this year, I do. If you'd been in my family last year, you would have seen war broke out on Christmas Day itself. One of the ugliest and most tragic of wars in our home. But this year, that war has ended. And so, I want us all to have a sense of that, I want us all to look to this Christ child knowing that that is all that has been given to us. This end to slavery, this end to war, this end to us not flourishing and us not being whole anymore. And you may say, but Cameron, as I sit here, I'm at war. Cameron, as I sit here, I, I am enslaved to some things that you don't see. And I would say, I understand I've been right where you are, but here's the good news. This passing of this advent will signal a further end to that. And it won't be the same next year as you cling to Christ and as Christ continues to rule and reign in your heart and life. I can say with great confidence that it will come to an end. Not because you're going to die someday. We get the punctuation mark, right? I mean, But but because I have seen and tasted that the Lord is good and his great desires for his children not to spend all of their days suffering as if they had no savior, no king, no eternal one who reigns even now. And so as we step into this part of the story, as we um, have alluded to before, the kings and the princes and the political machine is seeking salvation, temporary salvation from anywhere they can purchase it. They don't care about the coming generations. They just care about now. Sound familiar? Um, And and so there's no reason that anyone should depend upon what they can do then or now. There's no reason that we should have great faith in our own religious activities and abilities then or now because they're all twisted, aren't they? Apart from Christ, they're all twisted. And we don't care about other people like we should because of that because we're more concerned with our own safety and security than we are recognizing that we've been set free and that the war has ended and we can in peace flourish and help others to do the same because our great king reigns. I love what John Oswalt says in his commentary on Isaiah. He says this, and this is really important for us. He says, Will Israel recognize that to depend upon the nations is to lose her distinct mission to them? Whereas refusal to depend upon them is to become a blessing to them. Until a person or a nation is convinced of God's complete trustworthiness, listen, and this is crucial because this is the struggle for all of us, they cannot lay aside the lust for their own security in order to become God's servant. One of the reasons that we struggle so hard to be missional and generous and prayerful as we talked about in the last sermon series is that we are far more concerned with our own rights and our own security than we ever were about making God glorious and and ensuring that others come to know that truth in Christ alone. We all struggle with that. And it's going to be a regular battle, right? Which is why in Lamentations God so graciously grants us his mercy new every single solitary morning. Why? Because we need it fresh every day. So the question that I have for us as we begin this Advent season and that has been heavy upon my own heart is, what are you most dependent upon this Advent season? Where do you turn for your safety and your security? It's a telling question, isn't it? Because that question then dictates what is your greatest desire. See, if your greatest desire, like, let's go back a year. When war broke out in my family, my greatest desire was for the war to be over so the blood would no longer be shed amongst us, metaphorically. (laughs) So don't call it defects. My greatest desire was for peace, but what's the greatest means and way by which that's going to come to pass? See, if I think it's because I rise up and take matters into my own hands or I make an alliance with someone who is not godly or I manipulate and distort and twist and turn to get my own way, can peace be purchased rightly? Better said, will it last? No, it won't. And see, that's the problem is that oftentimes what we truly desire is not what we're, truly, we're not truly dependent upon rightly Christ so that we can receive what we truly desire. There's a big gap there oftentimes for us. And this season, I would say, exposes it probably more than any other. So as we turn to the text, keep in mind, what is it that you're most dependent upon? And what is your greatest desire? And how is what you're dependent upon going to purchase that rightly? Hear God's word this morning as we turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah the prophet says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Let me stop right there for just a second. Now, what's happening is Isaiah is transitioning. And if you were to read back, Isaiah 8, 16 through 22, you would hear all about the gloom and the darkness that, is, that will fall upon the land that is so incredibly tangible that the people just can't seem to shake it. They can't seem to find their way out of it. And it seems as if the gloom and the darkness are going to dictate the reality of the people of God. But here, Isaiah gloriously steps in and says, No. It will not dictate you, it will not be the ultimate reality, it will be, but it will not be ultimate. That's good news, isn't it? For those of you who maybe even right now feel like you're walking in darkness and you feel like the gloom is so thick that you can feel it and you don't know which way to push or which way to go. There's great news in that that will not have the final say. And it's interesting that he mentions these two cities, these two places, Zebulun and Naphtali, which is actually in the northernmost part of Galilee. Now, this is interesting because Isaiah is a prophet to which kingdom? Judah, the southern kingdom. Where is Zebulun and Naphtali? In the northern kingdom. Now, why does Isaiah give a rat's potato about the northern kingdom? Because if you knew the history here, the northern kingdom actually had tried to make an alliance with Syria to try to cut off the lineage of David. They wanted to destroy the line of the king so that they could put their own man on the throne. And here's the problem. If you cut off the line of David, which other line do you cut off? The promised child, the king who will come to ensure the very thing that everybody desires. See, the problem was that they were placing their confidence in something that could not actually grant them what they truly desired. So why is Isaiah preaching this message of hope for the northern kingdom? Because he is confessing, I am an Israelite. We are one people in God, and God's restoration will not be just the southern kingdom. Now, we know that Israel never becomes a nation again after they're carried away. But what he's confessing is that what we divide, God does not divide. And so what's beautiful about this is that Zebulun and Naphtali is the first place the Assyrians hit. In about 735, they carry everybody away. Now, if you know anything about how the Assyrians handled things, once they carried people away, they would bring people back in to populate the area. What kind of people do you think they brought? Pagan Gentiles. What people rose from the soil of this area? The Samaritans. The hated people of the people of God, right? But here's what's beautiful. Somebody tell me, where did Jesus' earthly ministry begin? Zebulun and Naphtali, north of the Sea of Galilee. And what's interesting is Matthew beautifully picks up and says, this is the fulfillment of this very prophecy in Isaiah. Tell me in John who is one of the first people that Jesus calls to redemption? The Samaritan woman at the well. See, even all that we would separate and divide, the Lord our God starts at the place where we think that grace could never, ever in a thousand years have a foothold. See, if you knew anything about Zebulun and Naphtali, it would kind of be like modern day Ferguson, which many of you probably think. How in the world can grace penetrate so dark and and destructive a circumstance and situation? I'm not fixing to go political, so everybody calm down. No hashtags will be necessary to anything I'm about to say. But my point is this. Don't you look at that? Didn't you look at that? If if nothing else, we can agree on all of us felt hopeless in that moment, didn't we? Uh, Look at the situation and you think We, we haven't advanced at all in 100 years. This is 1992 in South Central Los Angeles. How in the world do we keep going over and over and over the same old hurt and the same old ground? Because we're the same old people depending upon the same old things. And so what's beautiful about this is Isaiah is declaring and Christ is confirming that Jesus saves to the absolute uttermost. There is no darkness so deep to which his light cannot penetrate and draw grace and glory from. Amen. For those of you who are in dark situations, that you, you can't see at all how it's going to conclude or how in the world there's going to be any advancement whatsoever for the good. May you read this and take heart. Because it ain't up to you. And that's good news. And you, if you're like me, have probably already proven... I ain't the way. And here Jesus says, no, but I am. I am the way. And so this glorious light of the Christ child who comes is going to shine in the darkest place of all. And if you would, hear God's word as it continues. It says in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So Isaiah is using imagery to say that the people are already beginning to rejoice. Let me ask you historically, where Isaiah is speaking, has the darkness been pierced by the light as of yet? By the light of prophecy, but not by the light of reality. And so he's saying, you already are beginning to rejoice because you know that the great God who provides, just as he does from the seed of the ground to create the harvest that you cannot control, of which you make your first fruit offerings. That's the way in which, and even you're going to rejoice at the wars that you could never win, the spoil you can never get for yourselves. He's actually beginning to hearken to an image he's going to use in just a few moments about Gideon and 300 men. And so here we have that the people are able to begin to rejoice at even just the word of God spoken over them. Is that you this morning? Is that how you see your story? Listen at what Jay Alec, and I think I'm going to get this right, and if not, Sam, correct me on the fly. Motir? I got it right, That one out of two so far. As always, listen to what he says, as always the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences they will live by. Let me just stop right there for a second and and say to you that is a phenomenal quote because are we not always having to, as we approach different circumstances and situations, try to decide which reading of the situation are we going to engage in? Listen to what he says. Are they... To look at the darkness, the hopelessness, the dream shattered and conclude that God has forgotten them. How many of you have ever been in a circumstance and situation that you felt was so dark and so hopeless? As a Christian, no less. And wondered, God, where where are you? How can you do this to one of your own? How how can you let me be in this place at this time? How How can you bring us here? goes on, he says, or are they to recall his past mercies to remember his present promises and to make great affirmation of faith? Isaiah insists here that hope is a present reality, part of the constitution of the now. The darkness is true, but it is not the whole truth and certainly not the fundamental truth. Wow. I mean, I could, I could quit right there and beat Wes's time last week. <laughs> but you know better than that. <laughs> I, I just, I, that. I have been meditating on that because, again, isn't this what we oftentimes do? We, we read circumstances, and it varies based on the flow of the circumstances instead of the faithfulness of God. You know, I can't help but think about the Cuthbertsons as they were dealing with this house. I and mean, I felt like it was my house for a while there. And I, I wanted to just go burn the thing down and be done with it. But, but, you know, every week it was something. It was crazy what was going on. It just felt like, you know, Lord, just, this is an easy one, man. Just sell the house. This isn't rocket science. And yet, he displayed something to them, and I, I haven't heard them say this, but I've gotten inklings of it, and it displayed something to me as well, that God is so incredibly faithful, isn't he? And he chooses to do stuff in weird and strange ways, but it always strengthens us. And I say that to say, we also are trying to sell a house, and every week it seems like something breaks on that sucker, and we've got to fix it for our tenants that are living in it. And so, you know, we're, we're having to learn that too. How do we read this? And, and it's just brick and mortar and money that's paper that somebody decided was valuable. Why are we making so much of it? So we have to decide in every circumstance that we come into and that comes upon us. How are you going to read it? And then how are you going to how's it going to dictate how you then live? That's the critical piece, isn't it? I love that that's what he says. He says As always, the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences, listen, they will live by. So, my question to you this morning, in light of all that we've talked about even so far, what reading of your experience are you living by? Not what you you give lip service to, but that is actually manifesting and affecting how then you live. Is it, Is the darkness of past mistakes and current failings, is that what's dictating how you're living? Is that dictating your praise, your worship, your demeanor, your your affection for Christ, your affection for your neighbor? Is that what's dictating these things? And let me say something to you. I'm not coming down on you if that's where you're caught. But I want to see you set free. And it's not always clean, is it? It's not always like the darkness rolls in and we, as grand and pious, fully glorified saints, say, well, this is but another opportunity to love the Lord deeper. Well, maybe you do, and you're great, and that's awesome, and you should be an elder. <laughs> but, but that isn't always how it goes, is it? There's a struggle there to get to the right reading of the circumstance by which we'll live. And it's in that struggling that is much like the Advent, isn't it? Longing to be born is the grace and mercy and faithfulness of God so that we can enjoy and worship Him in spirit and truth. Is a reading of your life instead founded on gratitude for God's ongoing faithfulness and mercy? And this goes back to a concept that we've talked about many times here. Remembrance is so crucial. For every Lord's day, for every day that you don't invest in your relationship with Christ, that you don't take time to remember, is yet another chink in the armor of the Lord that has been given to you. Now, what did I just say? Oftentimes, I don't think we have any idea of the things that are coming in our lives. And so usually when all is calm and all's quiet on the Western Front, we relax, don't we? We relax in our faithfulness, we relax in our worship, we relax in lots of things. Not knowing that that relaxation for that time is not at all going to be good for when the storm blows in. And so every opportunity that you have to remember and give praise to the Lord and to pray with Him and to be near Him and to enjoy Him will make you stronger for the things that I guarantee you if you live long enough are coming. And I hate that because I sound caustic. I spend much of my time trying to battle against that nonsense, but it's true, isn't it? It's true. Let's look back at the text, verses 4 and 5, and look at, now what I want you to pay attention to is there's three fours here, and I know it sounds like I made some weird math issues, and I I promise I didn't, but there are three fours, which is why these people are rejoicing. They are rejoicing, number one, four, beginning in verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every single one of those instruments are instruments of oppression and slavery. And one of the reasons that the people who are currently residing in darkness can begin to rejoice is because the coming of this Christ child will signal that all of that is broken and you are free. Now, what is this Midian stuff that he's talking about? Well, it's a reference to Judges chapter 6 through 8, which includes, interestingly, Zebulun and Naphtali. Because Gideon and 300 men laid the axe to the root of the tree of the Midianites who were oppressing both both Zebulun, Naphtali, and and Asher as well. And so, it's not that those men were great. Was Gideon excited and raring to go? Or was he putting out fleece? Are you sure you meant what you said? God. I mean, it's only three. I'm, not, I'm doing the count here, and there's 300. It doesn't look good. I, the math don't work. And yet the Lord who was sovereign, delivered his people from that darkness. And so here the, the, the prophet Isaiah is saying, "Look back. remember how God has already once delivered, again delivered. Of people who are being oppressed, and you can rejoice because the same freedom is coming in this child. And he says in verse 5, the second, he says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel by fire. What's he referring to there? He's saying, War will end, and all of the instruments of war will become fuel for the fire to warm the hearts and souls of the people of God. Earlier in Isaiah, he says, they will take their swords and beat them into plowshares. They're going to use them to actually feed the hungry. What a great thing that, that the coming of this Christ child will purchase for us so great and awesome a reality. How many of you groan sometimes within yourself just longing for true peace and an end to the war? How many of you are sick of even watching the news anymore? Because all it is, is one group of people actually hating another group of people and trying to figure out why this group of people is more right than that group of people and all this nonsense that doesn't seem to get us one inch closer to anything valuable. How many of you have decided you're probably not going on Facebook anymore? Because you're just tired of the ignorant things that are being said or just even trying to hash through and read all the things that people say we ought to read to get smarter. And I've been guilty. So we all groan within ourselves for freedom and peace. And this coming Christ child says, it is finished. It is yours. Listen at what John Calvin says about this text. He says, now, hence it is evident what Christ brings to us. Namely, a full and perfect joy of which We cannot in any way be robbed or deprived, though various storms and tempests should arise, and though we should be weighed down by every kind of afflictions, however weak and feeble we may be, still we ought to be glad and joyful, for the ground of our joy does not lie in numbers or wealth or outward splendor, but in spiritual happiness, which we obtain through the word of Christ. What did Calvin just say? He just said that that which has been purchased for you, peace and freedom, is surety. It cannot be taken from you because of the darkness that rolls in. It can't even be taken from you because you give a wrong reading of the circumstance and don't live by it like you ought to. Isn't that good news? Because if you keeping your salvation purchased in Christ was dependent upon you getting it right all the time, how many of you would have any assurance at all? I wouldn't have a lick. So, are you longing for freedom and peace this Advent season? Are you longing for a better reading of, of, of the culture in our world? Do you desire for those around you to have this same freedom and peace? If there's a longing within you, one, If you're already a Christian, hopefully your hope will continue to grow this Advent season. Two, if you're not yet a Christian, my hope is that that stirring and longing within you would draw you to the one who can actually grant so wonderful and true and beautiful a desire. How many of us have turned to so many different things seeking for them to bring us peace only for it to increase the slavery and the war? For those of you who've ever battled addiction in any way, shape, or form, you know what I'm saying is true. You know that the shackles only get tighter. You're not free. It doesn't actually help you forget anything. In fact, it reminds you of far too much, which is why you go deeper and deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. For those of you who have sought any sort of peace in the arms of another or in the thoughts of another or in the books of another, you have probably found that it just doesn't seem to last, now does it? It seems so impermanent. doesn't stick. We forget. There's all kinds of reasons why it doesn't work. My prayer for us is that we would instead turn to the one that is spoken of in this last four. If you would turn back to the text, verses six and seven. Listen at this glorious and final promise. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How awesome it is that we have been promised a king who can keep what has so gloriously been purchased for us. I don't know... If we understand the gravity of that, how many of you, as parents, discovered that you weren't a very good parent? And you made grand promises that you were going to change. You were going to make all sorts of things better in your home. You were going to purchase peace with your sacrifice. Now, how many of you remember exactly how long it was before it fell? The kingdom uprooted. Let me tell you about a time that that was true for me. I remember one morning I was reading uh, in the scriptures and I was really purposing to become a better parent. And I was, I, in fact, I was probably going to set the bar so high they'd have to make videos and I'd make a cottage industry out of my greatness as a parent. And so I was feeling full of all that nonsense and I suddenly erupted from the bathroom a problem between my son and daughter. Weird. Right, And so I, the peacemaker, the king of this kingdom, was going to stroll in there and with but a few words put everything back into order. And those words were going to be spoken with such love and grace that the kids would fawn over their new glorious father forged in the image of himself. So as I wandered into the bathroom... The problem was incomprehensible to me. That's odd, too, right? And so I began to speak these words of peace and tried to kind of filter through and create and all this kind of stuff. And the situation continued to descend to abject postmodern insanity. And my kingdom was crumbling and falling as I spoke. My daughter was having none of the grand wisdom that I was offering to her or her brother, the, my son. Wisely stormed out, didn't want to hear any more of this drivel, and went about his day. My daughter just continued to complain. And here was the complaint. She was mad because Susan and Devin had been putting their other people's towels in her laundry. Now, here was the rule in our house. The, my son and daughter would each do each other's laundry, right? We, we, didn't, we, we came to a point where they needed to learn how to do this, and so they were going to learn how to serve each other. What a great idea. And so, uh, so Kimberly's just livid about these towels. Now, here's the deal. It was all, gotta, it all had to go downstairs anyway. I'm explaining that. Listen to the reason here. And she continued to melt down. Well, interestingly, this kingdom of peace, this grand design of mine, this, this wonderful, glorious thing that I was about to accomplish, suddenly and sinfully disintegrated. And I flew into an abject rage and destroyed the basket filled with clothes. Attacked it with a ferocity like you've never seen in your life. Because it it was the idol of offense. Was it not suddenly I'd become righteously angry? No. My wife was trying to separate me from this poor basket that blew into a thousand pieces. As my daughter is weeping, wondering who this insane man had suddenly become. Here's the thing I thought as I wandered out of the bathroom totally and utterly defeated. I'm sure it was the spirit and not Satan because of the way it pricked my heart. I heard these words, Father of the Year. And I realized there was no way, even though that's a funny example, there are darker ones. I cannot purchase peace. I cannot bring about peace. I am not a king with a scepter large enough, nor a crown more uh, beautiful enough. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not. As long, I, I know many of you would long to be. I know you would long to and sometimes are just absolutely covered in darkness because you feel like you failed so miserably. I've got good news for you. We all have. But there's one who can purchase what you cannot. There is one who can accomplish what you in a million years could never There's one who can heal that which is broken in you and your children and can bring an end to the war and can bring the freedom that only he can give and he will rule over it for an eternity and keep it much longer, good news, than we ever could. And so we have this Christ child and he will do this in righteousness and justice, not with political machinations, not with alliances that will end poorly, not with any of the convenient or inconvenient truths that are there. Um, He will actually do this with such grace that we will rejoice and rejoice and rejoice and rejoice for an eternity. Listen to what John Oswald says about this. He says, the good news is that the God who is with us, Emmanuel, is a God who wants to turn our darkness into light, our conflict into shalom, our loss into abundance, our despair into joy. And I would even argue, not that he just wants to, he does. The one who rides with passionate desire at the head of the hosts of heaven has a passionate desire to do good to all people. If a God like that is with us, that is good news to all eternity. So, There were a number of names that we don't have the time to go into that Christ is described as. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It would be an awesome thing to study each one of those and why they're unique and why they're there. But I think it would be an awesome thing for you instead to take time at some point and consider each of those and how they are true of Christ in your life. Think about the many times that Christ was such a wonderful counselor to you to say, go and seek forgiveness when you didn't want to go. But it was the wisest thing that you could have ever done. Think about the times that he's been that everlasting father preserving the lineage that he has claimed for himself, for his God. Think about the times that he's been the prince of peace and a mighty God. As we close out this morning, I want us to remember this Advent season That the birth of the Christ child ushers in, this child unto us who was born, ushers into a firm and eternal reality that we can be free from slavery. From the lowest kind of slavery to the ultimate slavery, which is sin and death. That we can be free from having to pay the ultimate price he also purchases in full reality that we can become ambassadors and architects of peace and flourishing. That we actually, instead of being always sword in hand, sword of tongue, sword of pen, can actually be the ones who bring about true change so that people don't say it's just the same thing year after year after year. Because the truth is, it's not, is it? It's not the same thing year after year. Why? Because with each passing year, we are gloriously closer to the last Advent. And everything is changing as we approach that reality. And lastly, that we have a faithful and just King who will promote and preserve this unfolding mystery in each and every one of our lives and corporately for an eternity. So as you meditate and begin to think about this Advent season, I want to challenge you to ask the Lord to show you how you are freer this year than you were last year. Maybe in ways that you don't even know. How you are less at war and more at peace this year than you were last year. And if you come up with an account being on the wrong side of that equation, then you need to ask, well then Lord, where have I missed you? Because that is where you lead. And what do I need to do to repent and to be restored to that path that leads between the advents? Because you are a just and a righteous king. And I know that you have preserved it. And where have I missed it? As we close out, can't help but quote one of my favorites, Charles Simeon, who says this, and I think it's a wonderful challenge to us. He says, Has the mighty God become a little child for us? And shall we regard his condescension with indifference? Wow, that's a a blow to us as we are incredibly culturally materialistic. How many of you are far more concerned with if you have enough money to buy all the gifts that you think you need to buy, to purchase all of the people's affections that you think you need to maintain, and you're not at all concerned about how you're doing with your relationship with Christ? I'm convicted. And he goes on to say, is he governing and overruling everything for our good and shall we feel no sense of his kindness? Do you have any idea who holds all things together? I mean, think about for just one second, as bad as it was in Ferguson, as bad as it was in South Central Los Angeles in 92, did it have the period on the end of the sentence? It has never gotten as bad as it could. We're just getting glimmers of what lurks within the heart of every man and woman. When whatever it is that they desire is taken from them. And we're seeing a glimmer of what any and every man and woman would be willing to do under similar circumstances. And worse. And yet somehow, it all continues to hold together as we lurch year by year toward the last advent. Simeon goes on to say, Let us rather say, What shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits he has done unto me? Of all the gifts He will give this holiday season and all the things you'll participate in, my hope, my prayer for each and every one of us is that we will give thanks for the greatest gift that has been given and that we would instead be more concerned about what we're giving back to the Lord, what we're rendering unto him as our reasonable service, as our reasonable worship. Instead of being so entangled by something that was made up by Hallmark or Walmart or man, Black Friday, really? So, may we begin this Advent season rightly orienting our affections to the child who was given for us, who purchased so much. Let's pray.